What's up, guys? Welcome to The Strength Connection. I'm Michael Krakowski. I'm here to connect you with the top minds in the world of strength to share stories, insights, and experiences to help you become stronger every day. Now, for a time, you can grab a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge. It's the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Just go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com and you can grab your free copy today. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and leave an awesome review for us. It does so much in helping spread the message of strength and we greatly appreciate your support. You guys are awesome. So today I have the man, Jamie Lewis, plagueofstrength.com on the podcast, Jamie Chaos. So I've got a chance to connect with Jamie on numerous occasions and it is always an unbelievable conversation. I have no idea the direction of where we're gonna go many times when we get on and today didn't disappoint. We tapped into a bunch of different areas. Jamie is a really historian of strength. His uh, website, plagueofstrength.com, he is updating on a daily basis, an absolutely unbelievable writer of the history of weightlifting, strength, um, and just a prolific speaker, prolific writer, and it's always a blast to have him on the podcast. So we really dove into the topic today of how you can't compare generations and old-time lifters into what we can do today. We really dove into some of the deep details behind that, of the different lifestyles, the different ways that people lived before. We try and emulate and we try and mimic those things and try and just cherry pick the things that we want to do nowadays, when in reality that is not the case. And so we really kind of broke that down and went in a bunch of deep different directions. I also went into some of the things that I asked Jamie about in his ways, what are the things that shocked him in learning more about the history of strength and weightlifting. Um, we talked a little bit in detail about last time we were on with the history of kettlebells and kettlebell juggling. It was just an absolute blast. So you guys are going to have so much fun listening to Jamie with this one. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Greatly appreciate your support and I'll catch you on the inside. And we are live. So good to see you, man. Yeah, you too. Yeah. So it's been, I, I thought it was a, a longer than it was, but it's only been like, I think a couple months since we had you on the, the last podcast before when we talked about the kettlebell history. But again, so great to see you, man. Appreciate your time. I think this, the last year, the last year and a half, the COVID year and the last, you know, since then has, it's been a blink of an eye for me. I don't know. I've been so busy during all of it in a happy way. Yeah, no joke. I felt like 2020 was like that. 2021's been a little bit different. A lot of a lot of big changes, but I'll digress on that. So, listeners, if you uh, don't recognize the voice on the other end of here, we've got Jamie Lewis in here. Uh, I'll just I'll set this up a little bit because this is going to be a freaking amazing conversation. I'm so pumped about this. We were just chatting a little bit before we got on the air. Um, I got a chance to chat with Jamie a couple times before on the Breakthrough Secrets podcast. First one we talked about history of weightlifting, where if you want a complete mind blow, jump into that of how actually weightlifting came to America. That whole history timeline was awesome. But if you really want even a bigger mind blow, go to the one we just did a couple months ago on the history of kettlebells, which we found out that kettlebells date back to about 2,500 years ago. So I think that kind of puts the whole kibosh on kettlebells are a fad <laughs> right there, which was uh, just amazing. Jamie's a historian uh, of... Uh, oh, uh, uh, no, no, 2500 BC. 2500 BC. Yeah, okay. so 4,500 4, years ago. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> All right, so we're really throwing the kibosh on it right there. So, uh, But Jamie, plagueofstrength.com is a historian of 
all things really strength and you know just a bunch of awesome stuff on there so jamie again appreciate you taking the time and uh to set the stage for this conversation we're just talking about how where people are really just going wrong in comparing old-time lifters just old-time routines and stuff of what they're doing right now so is that the best way to kind of kick off this conversation no it, uh so uh, there are basically i don't know how many different like fields of thought there are in terms of this but i run across people who either you know masturbate to the golden age lifters because they were natty bros or they were you know just on d-ball or you know what I mean? They have their they have their picks, and that era is they obsess of those people and and how they dieted and how they trained, and then they think that's the way that you build that physique. Right. Or they'll look back to old time strongmen and then think, oh my god, like they did so little or so much with so little. Because I've been writing about people like uh, Alexandra Maspoli, who I uh, I posted about today, who was this French lifter who, who was also a sculptor. Uh, he's probably better known in France as a sculptor, but he was basically France's first superstar lifter. And he just right. did it for fun. And he was competing against like George Hackenschmidt, and, you know, big, big names. And he was tying them or beating them in these, in these, in these meets. Mm-hmm. But we don't know his name because he didn't go pro. Oh, wow. Okay. And you talked about that before with France. I remember last time we spoke, we were talking about like in France, even in the old times, there weren't like gyms around. There was just, there was like lat pull down machines and stuff like that, just in the city, just like in the area. So it wasn't like people were just going to the gym to get their workout. It was just part of their daily routine. Yeah. And they had superstar gym owners and things. So, um, so it, it, that was really cool. And then, it, so you, you could see that these guys, you know, they just blew away all of the natty bros who had all these genetic limits on you're building this amount of muscle if you have these measurements it's all nonsense because you can look at the and about the limits on how much you can train about Mm -hmm. overtraining if you look at guys like the circus strongmen of the early 1900s or alexander maspoli all these guys trained the same and they would train for hours and hours and hours a day and they didn't know what they were going to compete in so like uh there were russian lifters who had only lifted with, have you ever heard of the bulldog? Are you aware of what kettlebell that is? Uh, that's the 40, 40 kilogram, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was all this guy had ever, when he went to the, his first international weightlifting competition, all he had ever used was that. And he had just okay. been lifting that thing and he'd been running in lead line shoes to build up his leg strength. <laughs> and that's how they trained. So like... <laughs> To think that that's better way to train than, than the way we train now is ridiculous. But it's also ridiculous to think that they, he would have been Superman if he had all the stuff we had today. So it, what, where I think the, uh, the whole thing will come out at the – I think we'll come to an agreement about what it really boils down to at the end. But if you look at it over time, this really so, – so my idea is that you can't compare people of the same – of different eras directly based on their performance. Gotcha. Okay. And that also, it doesn't matter, but you'll have people doing that. I'm sorry. I'm a bit scattered today, but we started in the middle of the conversation. Absolutely. (laughs) At least in the way I had arranged it in my head. Well, so, I mean, let's, um, let's take that, I guess, in, you know, with compare, because when we, uh, when you messaged me about this this morning, I was like, oh, this is absolutely phenomenal. And I started thinking about this and how often we, 
we want to compare like to the old times. Like we look at like the echelons yes, of different exactly. things and it's like, we want to say like, okay, what is that person doing and how can I mimic that so I can input that into my life? Not taking into account like the different lifestyles, the different, you know, the, I mean, just the different agriculture of like food and different things. I mean, all these different things do come into play and you can't just go back 50 years ago or a hundred years ago and live that lifestyle. So there are other things. So I guess, is it safe to say that with the comparisons that we're trying to do is we're just trying to simplify it down to just kind of cherry pick the things that we want to do to get to the results that those people have got to. Well, first I want to, I want to explain why it's wrong headed to try to make these direct comparisons. Gotcha. And so uh, first you have, well, so you can't, it's difficult to even to compare different eras that we've lived through because as I was researching steel quality, because I know that in early lift for early lifters, their barbells snapped all the time when they went to, so in the middle of a competition, every three or to seven lifts, they would snap a bar, which is psychotic. Cause I mean, that's, you could have a fatality from that. Can you imagine that happening in a, in a competition now? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys are snapping bars constantly, which is potentially fatal to everyone involved. <laughs> and the barbell was in the globe barbell was invented by Hippolyte Triot, who was a gym owner from France in the 18th like mid to late 1800s. And so around like 1860s, 1870s, we have the globe barbell. That's what they're adding plates to for these competitions early on. Mm-hmm. And the barbell didn't rotate. So to say that a guy did a 201-pound one-arm snatch, if you did a 201-pound one-arm snatch with a barbell right now, it is in no way like what that guy did because he was holding a different size bar. It could have been thicker or thinner, but it didn't rotate at all. Mm -hmm. And it was a globe barbell that had little plates on it. So you're swinging this dead bar overhead with one hand. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's just – and, and so like just there, you can understand, but it, you don't get that from just reading. He did a 201 pound snatch. So mm. it's difficult to appreciate their lives because that's a guy who walked everywhere. And that's a guy who never saw a refrigerator. And that's a guy who, when he, when these guys took, went for an international competition, like uh, the five Russian uh, lifters went from, St. Petersburg, where, where the only gym in Russia existed, they went from St. Petersburg to Rome. And I couldn't find out how long that trip was, but I, had to, I tried to figure out how long it took the one lifter that I, I started the journey on, mm-hmm. whose name escapes me at the moment, but he was one of the lower lifters in this gym. Mm-hmm. He went from the center of Russia to St. Petersburg to compete in his first competition. He was the guy I had talked about with the leadline shoes. And, uh, he, um, that, that guy, it took him six weeks just to get to that competition. So he's six weeks on a train without being able to lift before he even got to the competition. And then he got to train for like three weeks and then they somehow traveled from St. Petersburg to Rome and competed again. Without his Tempur-Pedic pillow and all his, uh, his recovery methods and his foam roller. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it like that, that's insane. And then I, um, there was a guy, Eric Peterson, who was the most beautiful man who's ever lived. He came in second uh, to Steve Reeves in the uh, Mr. America, and he actually stole a car 
to get to the Mr. America first off and got arrested. And uh, he was, he took the only highway in America to get there and it had just been built. Like it was finished that year. And the car that they, that they stole uh, was zero to 60 in 25 seconds. So just, and the, there were no gas stations. They would have find a gas station. There were no rest stops and they had to sleep in, in parks. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like all of those things combined, like you cannot compare any modern lifter to that. Yeah. And you can't even say that those people were harder than the people who live now. Cause they certainly would have done all the things we could do. Right. <laughs> you know, if they could have, well, that's, it's, it's so not like they would have chose to live out and to sleep in the park. It's just fascinating. Just thinking about, I mean, just the equipment, like the barbell that doesn't rotate at all about how that is just like, you know, like that is a completely different movement when you actually and go. And then from, it might snap when you get it overhead. And that, <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. Okay. And there's no whip in the bar at all. Mm-hmm. So here's a, well, I was Googled this on the train when I was coming home. Uh, that, uh, so, uh, cause I wanted to check steel quality. That's how I actually, that's how we started this. So, um, I wanted to see how different the steel was in 1900 than it is now. Mm-hmm. And it's probably about as different as brick is from steel now. In fact, 75% of the steel that is, uh, that exists in uh, the world right now that is in use right now, 75% of that was made in the last 20 years. Oh, wow. Because the rest of it is garbage compared to the stuff that was made before. Mm-hmm. So you can't like that. That's how we can unwhippy and shitty these bars were. I mean, I'm sure even the rings came off kettlebells back in the day. Right. Can you imagine throwing a kettlebell like a cannonball through your roof? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. And you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. No that might possibly depot. snap. Yeah. There's no Home Depot. And the, you know, the lumber, you, you got to chop down a tree and then. You know, he hew the logs or whatever. Yeah. It's who, who is the guy that you just mentioned who only used the, the 40K kilogram bell? I, his name escapes me. I'll, 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 um, I'll send you the links to the lifters as I, like after this. So you can just link them into the, in the podcast notes. How about that? Well, that, I think that's great. I think it's, well, something like that is so interesting too, because if you hear that from so many times of like, you need all this different equipment and you need all this type of work where in reality, it's like this guy had one bell it was this only weight he probably didn't even know what weight it was he just knew that this was the one that he needed that he had available and he so so his brother got invited to this uh to this thing first and then he his brother said no my my other brother's even stronger and these guys had never done a one-arm snatch before and i think they both snatched like he snatched 145 and then the guy that his brother snatched uh 175 but that's the first time they ever saw a barbell or touched one in their life (laughs) Wow. Yeah, really. And so these guys were throwing kettlebells to each other all day long. Have you tried get juggling kettlebells yet? I haven't, but I've seen your vid. I've done a little Dude, bit of it. Now. But I can flip the 50. I saw that. I saw yeah. your videos of going in there. So what? No, got I mean, you- I can actually flip it now. And like, I'm getting there. I, I'm not saying I'm not Bob Jeffries yet, but, uh, okay. Yeah. Or, well, there's one and only on that. There's, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, he, he sent me, I forget. I am going to post it on my site. I don't even remember what the, he was doing uh, like these crazy chain. He was doing a, a kettlebell with chains on it and whipping it around. And like, he's a maniac. I love yeah. Bud. He's, he's yeah. outrageous. Yeah. He, Bud just posted something today about, I think it was 195 pound kind of like circus style 
um, it, it almost looked like a church bell, like kettlebell that he popped that he pushed pressed over his head and locked oh up. My God. But, oh yeah. But, but does, but does things that one, I would put a disclaimer on it. Don't attempt on there, but they're just absolutely unreasonable feats of strength, which is awesome. I have actually, I would say two out of five days a week. I'm like, I think I'm just going to play with the kettlebell today. And I there just you. flip the kettlebell for an hour, you know, yeah. with some, just putting dents in the floor and I, Nobody gives me shit about it, luckily. But, uh, yeah, I, you have to not be afraid to make an ass of yourself as part of it. So I think that it's good for the ego, you know? Oh, absolutely. To publicly, it's, to publicly make an ass of yourself. Oh, it's, it's a, it, yeah, it's a, joy, it's a joy to be a beginner in things and to try things out because that's when your nerve endings are really up and you're, that's when you're really learning stuff. Of getting yeah. Into. yeah. And being the big guy in the gym, I feel like I got a responsibility <laughs> and for – I took myself, so I told you, I took myself too seriously for so long. So now that I'm just in there goofing around and, and I'm always dancing in the gym, other people are now dancing in my gym. It's like a fucking dance party, but we're all dancing to different shit. It's so fun. Oh, and it's gosh. all huge people like Jacks just oh, that, having a good time in the gym. It's a good time. That's hysterical. So, yeah. So uh, Jamie, going back to the, some of the stuff you talked about with the equipment, one of the things you were oh. saying before was about, I mean, the barbell, that really is, um, I've got to look at that more because that's really fascinating. But you even said, like when Roger Bannister, I forget the year it was, but when he broke the four minute mile and right. the, actually the shoes that he was wearing at that time. Yeah, they were black kangaroo leather, you know, with six spikes on the bottom. And, you know, there were guys who were in the, uh, in the first marathon in the Olympics one guy was barefoot. There was another guy running in boots. Uh, they were all whacked on their, off their face on laudanum. Like, so they were, they were taking heroin while they were running and drinking strychnine also. Strychnine. That's rat poison. I don't know why. I, could, I have Googled it. I can't – I genuinely – they thought it was a stimulant, I think. But if you're taking heroin, who knows? I, maybe, maybe that's a, a cool old-school speedball. <laughs> I don't know. But I would have to be on heroin to run a marathon. But still, like, again, like people talk about PEDs and all that. and They, they were pure back in the day. No, they took anything they could take. So, yeah, well, it's. And well, they, it, oh, my God, the cheating in the first couple Olympics was psychotic. Yeah. Well, so, and it's because it, that was just such like back then, too. I mean, there was no Google. There was no search engines that you could go in and actually test stuff out. I remember it was the story of Mickey Mantle in the big year of 61 when Roger Maris broke the record and Mickey like halfway through the season he had a bad cold and like the announcer or one of the reporters said hey you need to go check this stuff out you just get a shot and he's like oh yeah worth it you know worth a try and he goes in and gets this huge infection and he's out for the rest of the season when oh. in reality it's like nowadays a professional baseball player would never get a shot or go see a doctor from some reporter that's in the that's in the locker room. They have like nine different doctors that they're going to see, like who are assigned specifically to that team. And that was only exactly. that was like, only he was probably on so much speed that he he would have followed anyone down any alley who was offering him any kind of drugs. Right. So because baseball players in the from the fifties to the like nineties when they started really drug tests or when the steroid era started, they were all on speed all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like everybody was trying to take something, you know, yeah. and so how do you compare the the different drug eras versus the allegedly natty era of the now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Is and that- yet the performance continues to improve. Right. So it's like, I mean, 
with the comparisons then it's like it's you like you said like it's impossible compare just because of the different standards like what are the main you said like most people they're just looking at the wrong things to increase strength and to build muscle right here not looking at the at really the the main things of if you are going to study history and look at the people before and mimic that everybody's missing the boat what are those things well when people so when people go on the internet to look you tell me since you're you're more into the noob guy the, the noobs than i am okay. so when they go to when they're looking on the internet for what are they looking for well it's i mean before and after pictures like the the third person stories um supplements diet um the new the new piece of equipment that apparently was never known of before that is now out there and it's the, the and the best program right and the best well that's the thing it's the it's the program i think if we can sum it's it up always if, if, the program if you can sum it up into one thing it's the program i mean if you you know if we take even if you go on the nutritional side paleo is a program people think it's what the neolithic and the paleolithic people were eating but essentially it just came down to oh this is a program that i can follow to get to my goals if you would ever like me to give you a, a very lengthy reasoning on why there is absolutely no way a modern human being can eat paleolithically i would be happy to deliver that okay oh yeah that's well that's but, a that's a rabbit hole we can certainly go down yes that's, yeah but with the pro, with the programming for for strength i mean you said it because i'm it is really kind of a fascinating thing that i've been looking at a lot of like you know why are we so deep into programs and just following programs because as you said like there was a lot of old time strong men in history who they were training every day it wasn't really a program they were following it was just kind of part of what they did on a day-by-day basis right yeah so uh, so i've been looking at these uh, circus strongmen uh, and vaudevillian strongmen who I'd, I'd always discounted because teeth lifting does not impress me. Uh, I, you know, I've never, I, that sort of thing is just, it's all just basically how much pain a person can endure. Uh, the spike bending and all that stuff, it is genuinely pain tolerance, mm-hmm. which is respectable, but I don't want to watch it. In any event, um, they those people also did, you know, kettlebell lifts or, you know, they would do barbell lifts. So I've come to research them more and they would train, especially when they were going for a competition lift, they would train two to four hours a day for that, for whatever competition they were doing. Mm -hmm. And usually they would have, they would know that of of maybe 10 exercises, five would get picked. So they would have to be prepared to do basically 10 different exercises. And um, so they would train two to four hours a day for that. But then they would be performing, which means that uh, between three and six times a day, they would have to do a 15 to 30 minute performance of strength. Mm-hmm. So that's on top of the other two to four hours of training. So now they're lifting weights for what, four to six hours a day, every six days a week. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, all right, I, right then and there. And that's just training however they wanted. There was no program. And right. those people were jacked. We're talking mm-hmm. like every guy that I've written about, they all had 18 and 19 inch biceps. And we're talking about cold measurements because they never did pump measurements. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, do you know anybody with 18 or 19 inch other than me? Eight, what, arms? Yeah. Uh, besides me, but that's if you put both of them together, I think so. It's... <laughs> no, uh-huh. I don't think so. Yeah, and, and I don't know that many people with them. But these guys would like – 
all be hanging out together because, and that was before refrigeration. You could, they didn't have supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Also, you couldn't even buy produce and meat at the same place uh-huh. or bread. Is there, is there information on those guys of if they even really followed any type of nutrition or like they recovery work? Needed, at all? Yeah, there's plenty. Of, there's, they didn't know recovery work. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, they got massages because people gave massages to each other back then. Like it wasn't, there wasn't such a stigma against it. Um, and they were all very big on massage. They were big on, they would, uh, they were big on bathing and things like that. Like they all had their kind of rituals that all basically amounted to, uh, you know, cold baths, hot baths, showers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do a lot of walking. I mean, the two to four hours didn't include their walks. They all did a walk or a jog. Uh, Hackenschmidt and all the Russians did, I think, three to five miles a day, something like that. I mean, they, they ran a lot. And uh, they would run in heavy shoes or heavy boots. Okay. Um, so it was just a tremendous amount of training. And then they would just eat a shitload. I mean, right. they didn't follow a diet so much. Hackenschmidt, there, he gets a lot of uh, press for having been a vegetarian, but he uh, he became a vegetarian after he stopped competing. And it was just, I think it was really oh, like Arnold okay. Schwarzenegger and all that, where it's just like, and I'm starting to get it too now. Like, I really can't wait for vet grown meat because I, uh, you know, I can, I have trouble stepping on lantern bucks. And it's, I just, and I'm waiting to smash a human being for wronging me in some way, but but I don't like killing things unnecessarily, even if right. it's for, for for me to eat. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. It, well, it, it, no, it's interesting. Well, it is interesting because like, I think recovery method, there's so much information out there now on recovery. And I was like, look, there are good recovery methods out there. However, you got to train hard first if you need to recover for something. And I think that's something and, that's and, been... Yeah, and they still, I mean, compare our, you can't compare the mattress you sleep on, the shittiest mattress of anybody listening to this right now is an order of magnitude on top of an order of magnitude better than the queen of England's mattress 120 years ago. Right. It is. It would be unspeakable to mm-hmm. sleep on. So <laughs> like, so what were regular people sleeping on, you know, and, and you want to tell me that your back hurts, go fuck yourself. That's <laughs> nonsense. Just being a baby and all these people with KT tape on them. Mm-hmm. Oh, just, just wrap it around your face until you can't breathe anymore. And that will solve the problem. Yeah. The pain no, will it, end. Well, it's funny. Uh, I just saw something recently. They were saying, would you rather live nowadays on, I forget the number they said, like $30,000 a year or live like Nelson Rockefeller did way back in the day. It's like, well, there was no air conditioning back then. You could be the yeah. richest person in the world, but you were living in some nasty. Wearing wool. These yeah. people were wearing wool while they lifted. Wool. Yeah. Wool. Yeah. Uh, Yule's leotard invented a leotard in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. and it was made of wool. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I, th- I think the I think the big point about it too is just the we we want to compare the apples to apples of it, but just the lifestyle changes of what we live now. I mean, most people, you know, do, especially, you know, in, you know, America versus a lot of these just environments on a day by day basis from right there, their recovery probably then was, they were walking three to five miles a day. They were probably, they were probably so tired by the end of the day of lifting and doing hard labor that they just passed out. So they got a good eight, nine hours of sleep. They certainly did so much drinking. (laughs) They probably passed out. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And, and plus, my God, the state of the water at that time. 
Yeah. You think it came out of a tap? No. They were drinking mud. Yeah. Mud filled with cholera. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, my God. It just, there's no way to compare the things. And so the program doesn't matter, obviously. The diet doesn't matter. And all of the recovery and all that other bullshit doesn't matter. The equipment doesn't matter. So what's left? Right. So effort. I mean, what, well, Your effort. That's all that's left. All well. that is left is effort. Mm-hmm. Diet doesn't matter. Program doesn't matter. None of it matters. Every penny that anyone ever spent on lifting was a waste of money. Mm-hmm. Because I have pictures of people in the Congo who are way bigger than everybody listening to this who is arguing the opposite. Mm-hmm. They're way bigger lifting on cement, cement blocks. Mm-hmm. I had 16-inch biceps in high school, and in the summer I got them doing curls at, uh, at a nursery where I worked, like Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch in that horrible Good Vibrations video with a like a, a two-by – or a, it was a two-by-two two with cinder blocks on it, and I was doing curls every possible opportunity. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so like none of – all of that is garbage. Just – yeah. Try harder. Mm-hmm. If you're too small or too fat, it's because you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Do you think it's with the comparison of it? I mean, because you, you even said like steel, you said is really over like the last 20 years has made like a huge change from there where a lot of people were still in like the strength world would compare to times of Arnold and Columbo, which was even farther back, even farther back than that. Right. I, oh, like Pat Casey. Uh mm-hmm. The, the guy, the first guy to bench 600, mm-hmm. he used to bring his own heavy duty bench to competitions because benches would collapse under people all the time. Wow. That's crazy. And people what? are like, oh, you better not bench without a spotter. Well, try benching on one of those tiny little weeder benches. That's what they were doing competitions on if you look at competition pictures with the little skinny bars that were made of chrome. Right. With 500 pounds on the bar, just wild, wild. That's so interesting. I mean, so if you think about it, like, do you think just the, the whole, like you mentioned effort. So you just think like the whole thought process of how guys and how girls just stepped into the gym before. Cause that's one of the things that I love following about you uh, too, Jamie, is that you put out so much history, especially of a lot of strong men, but you find some of the strongest women ever in history who are doing this, where a lot of people think like, you know, a lot of, you know, women and females weren't in the gyms for a long uh, period of time. You were finding people from way back, like hundreds of years ago, yeah, that women and, were in the gym and doing incredible feats of strength. It, so I, this is, I, and I'm not trying to get on a platform or anything. Mm-hmm. I have always, always valued like strength in a partner. It, mm-hmm. And so it was very difficult for me to think of any people in the past who wanted a weak woman, if they were a strong man, you know, if they were a king, they wanted a queen who had their back. They didn't want a queen who was cowering behind them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and now we're, you know, we're coming to find all these shield maidens and things like that in, in uh, you know, Viking burials and, and uh, you know, warrior queens from all these different places. And I had, I had known of some of them. So that's why I was really like digging for them because I kind of, I put myself into the position of, well, I was a Mongol, you know, if I, cause I always wanted to be a Mongol when I was, when I was growing up, like I, I did the ancestry DNA hoping I had Mongol blood or Kazakh blood because that's what the Mongols were. Yeah. But, um, well, the way Genghis Khan got around, you might, <laughs> might possibly be a possibility. Not a scrap. 
I am so German and and like Norse, like Hitler's West wet dream, and then one percent Bantu, and I was like, yes, I. You know, I wanted something weird in there. One percent Bantu, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, where was I going? Where were we going with this? I had a path with the well with the Mongols with the oh, the yeah, strong so king wants a that, strong. So queen. that's where I started. Was uh, you know, I'm a Mongol. I want a badass girl. Like they had to have some badass chicks, and then I found one. And then it was a, it was a, she was a wrestler. Her name doesn't come to the top of my head, but if people go to rejectedprincesses.com, it's an awesome website. They have books that you can give to, uh, um, to your kids that are rad about these super badass chicks from back in the day. And, uh, like how they aren't Disney chicks because they were awesome. You know, they were smart and capable and you know, they're the stories that we haven't been told. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So what is rejectedprincesses.com? Yeah, I think that, yeah, I, I had, I don't, I'm not like a frequenter of that site, but I, they usually come up when I'm Googling some badass from like the distant past. Mm-hmm. But then, then I knew there was a gap between Abby Stockton, who everybody knows, Pudgy, mm-hmm. and like, the, I don't know, the 1800s or wherever I had left off. So then I've been trying to fill in the gaps. And I realized that since there weren't any organized really weightlifting competitions until 1898 Mm -hmm. then i had to look elsewhere for them so then i found out they were in circuses and so that's that's how i kind of got into all this um and it's been cool i've I've really enjoyed Mm because again i was kind of putting myself in the past and thinking about right all right which chicks would i be into oh man that's funny that's how i got so into vaudeville because i was like that's where i would have been in the early 1900s like hanging out with mark twain and crazy lifters and painters and gunfighting actresses. And yeah, it would have been awesome. With them, with the Mongol empire, was there history on them about, cause I mean, they traveled all over the world on that. Did they, is there history on strength training at all within that empire that you found? I hadn't really come across any because uh, there wasn't any. But what I did find is when I was researching all the, uh, the history of the kettlebell and that Yurof culture in Iran, mm-hmm. that, the kettlebell spread outwards from there. And um, one really cool thing that I discovered today is that there was a, a tribe called the Guti who were responsible for destroying the Akkadians. And the Akkadians were um, the Western neighbors of the Elamites, and they were the first kettlebell, the, the uh, 2500 B.C., mm-hmm. So we know that the kettlebell was different places in Turkey and it had spread into all those lands. And so the Guti, uh, they were, uh, the, the inscription said something like they, they had no Kings and that it caused a lot of chaos because there was nobody in charge. And that reminded me of the Elamites who had the, remember the evenly sized, uh, like dwellings. So okay. there were no, palaces there were no everybody lived in a centrally planned house that like was of equal size and they Mm -hmm. had you know general waste disposal and stuff like that so what it what i read it as today was that these kettlebell swinging psychos on horses came down and nobody was in charge because they were a little too little too democratic and they didn't know how to run an empire and everything Mm -hmm. fell apart and at the same at the same time there were a ton of like uh, ecological disasters Mm-hmm. Uh, just like too much rainfall, you know, climate change. And I'm not, this is not like uh, stumping or anything like that. Like it was actual climate change that wiped them out. So 
with with no king on there and no one who was a ruler was that like a main thing was there a, there had to be like a bunch of fighting for somebody to try and probably take over at that point it right? wasn't it, it wasn't that anybody was trying to take over what happened was uh they were having torrential rains and things and mm-hmm. it was washing out roads there was nobody there to protect uh, to fix the roads and there were no uh no soldiers to protect the roads so bandits were taking over and people couldn't travel between cities so they got trapped <laughs> excuse me trapped in their cities hmm. huh so one thing I wanted to ask you, Jamie, I mean, because with all the work that you've done, I mean, you've been writing for what, I mean, your blog goes back to what, like 12 years, but you've been writing for, I think, longer than that, right? Yeah, well, I, I guess I, I've been writing all my life, my, like, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I've, the website, I think was 2007 or 2008, I started it, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Is there any, is, I'm sure there's some points, but I don't know if any come to mind of like specific things that you came across that just in your head, you were like completely shocked by of just like, Oh my gosh, like, I can't believe like I never knew about this before. Cause that's, I think that the always fascinating thing of why I love history is because we get, we get like the abridged reader's digest version of history as we grow up of what goes on when there's so much stuff out there to find. I think the wildest one was I remembered maybe it was from Arnold's encyclopedia or something like that. But I remembered a picture of Arnold and Franco and a couple of other buff guys and some, you know, girls with the set that's seventies body. I, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It's just a body that doesn't exist anymore. It was right. very seventies. It was that hour hourglass shape. And I, it was this badass mansion. And I remember seeing that picture and, and again, putting myself in there and being like, Oh, that'd be a rad party. And, and think about all that. And then, um, and then I was reading uh, this book called Muscle and Mirrors that's about the history of lifting. And it talked about this house run by this guy, Ken Sprague. And then I was like, was Ken Sprague the bodybuilder in that picture? He was the bodybuilder in that picture. And, uh, and so he, uh, he didn't own the house, but he lived there. And it was this rich guy's house. And the... The and they could use the house for to have parties and stuff like that. And the proviso was that everybody had to use a specific bedroom to change in, and uh, and it was very understood that that bedroom had a a, a glass wall, and that glass wall was a two way mirror, you know. And uh, and it was just a bunch of old horny people on the other side <laughs> watching hot bodybuilders. And uh, so Ken Sprague, as it turns out. Um, he was a math teacher and he, so he's doing this bodybuilding thing. And then he went into gay porn and became like a gay porn star. I forget cult something or other. I forget what his name was. And like he did that, he became like this massive success in gay porn. And, uh, and then it, like he went back into teaching later on. And now I think he's a math teacher now, but he's wow. rich as shit. Also he owned gold's gym. Okay. All right. That's where I know the name from. I yeah. Remember. Yeah. Like so he owned Gold's Gym and he was an editor of uh, Muscle and Fitness for a while, I think. Okay. So what was it about just now I'm going to go in a completely different direction, but the kettlebell juggling that you started with, what got you wanted to oh, start? Oh, just but here's another that? thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Steven, who was the, um, the Mr. America before Steve Reeves. Mm-hmm. When Pete, when you look at him, you're like, eh. Meh. Uh, the reason why is because the year that he won, they, uh, they were trying to de-gay uh, Mr. America, so they didn't allow them to wear any oil or tan. Oh. Yeah. So there you go. So you can't even compare those two Mr. Americas right next to each other because of that. Mm-hmm. 
And what was, when was that? When was that year? It was either 48, maybe 47, sometime around in there. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the kettlebell juggling, I was just, I was curious about that. Cause I know you just started that after I spoke with you on the breakthrough secrets podcast about kettlebells. Yeah. Did, that, did that inspire you at all to kind of get into that? Uh, it, it was so, I, I told you I dislocated my elbow and I was really like struggling to find ways that I could work my, I was, I was really, I couldn't put weight overhead comfortably. Everything hurt. My arm ached constantly. And so I've really been working around it as I've been putting my muscles back into place. Cause they were really, it was really, my arm was a mess. <laughs> but, uh, so I started by just, I had been doing baseball curls with holding a, a hex dumbbell by the end mm -hmm. and curling them like a hammer curl. I had done those for years and, um, they were an old baseball thing. And so I saw kettlebells and the years ago and I tried them that way. And I was like, Oh, that's nice. So I'd been doing hammer curls like that. And then because of the juggling, I was like, well, I could at least try tossing it to, and I was like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. And that looks kind of cool. So then I started doing like five on one side toss. And I was like, no, nah, I'll just do one at a time. And just, and then I just was like, well, all right. So now I'm getting into more of like a swing motion. It's coming down and you're yeah. able to see what I'm doing, but it, like I'm swinging down. And it, so then I started throwing it and catching it and throwing it and catching it. And then, so then I was like, all right, so I've got that. I, there must be some way I can flip this thing. I'm not that uncoordinated, but I am horrifically uncoordinated. So okay. I'm a very muscular nerd. So, um, so I started just doing with a, like a 15 or something, mm -hmm. just trying to like, I would throw it up and kind of catch it with the other hand and throw it just up. Just get the mechanics down until mm -hmm. I realized you just have to commit to pushing it yeah. and trust yourself. And, uh, so then I, then I was like, all right, well, I want to kind of get a rhythm and going to the side wasn't working. So then I realized you got to come from the center. Mm -hmm. because unlike everybody else, I didn't watch any YouTube videos before this. I just figured it out. And so I'm trying to explain how I figured it out. Right. And uh, so then I was, Oh, well then, you know, doing the snatches. And then, then I was like, Oh, 25s. And then I realized if I wanted to go fast, I could use heavier or faster. And I was just kind of uh, playing around with it. And then I was mm -hmm. like, well, I might as well try going heavier because I had posted uh, this video in my kettlebell article mm -hmm. about this, crazy russian man flipping a 112 yeah flip, flipping a 112 like it's nothing mm -hmm. like it's a paperweight yeah i have a i have a little globe over here and he's just tossing it like i would toss that and <laughs> it's just so now now i'm obsessed with it because it's such a fantastic casual display of strength yeah even you know, when you're looking like an asshole dropping the thing it's still a fun ridiculous display of strength you know so, it's, it's an interesting thing because i didn't i i honestly probably didn't fully respect it until i talked with castro um michael castro giovanni who started the kettlebell partner passing program so if you haven't seen kpp you got to take a look at that because i will take a look i'll take a look it's a oh will you link it in the comments for absolutely for oh awesome. yeah absolutely it's a it's a program that if you see it it looks like a lot of times two people going you know uh, you know, about, you know, four, maybe five feet apart from each other. And you can either flip it by either kind of tossing it. So you keep the handle up or you do like my, more of a backflip and you get it down. And after we talked with Michael, me and Chris did it for a while and the connection and the, really the flow that you get into of getting into that, like high performance state and that flow state is huge. All of a sudden that you can see that these guys are going for 
an hour, you know, doing freestyle tossing, going it from just doing like a standard swing, going through the legs, but then also going one hand side by side. There was a video of, he sent me a video of him and uh, an SFG team leader, Chris Hook, who were just doing this freestyle. And Chris, just in the middle of it, just does a (laughs) backflip as they're doing it (laughs) and then comes back down. But the whole point about it is he has a solo partner passing program of kind of just working it yourself of getting in. And a lot of times, if you just look at it on the surface, it looks like maybe just a party trick or just something to do. But the actual connection and the benefits that you can get from it, not only just with strength, but just that mind body connection, there's actually some huge things to it. So it's like, if you see it, like, yes, you could say, oh yeah, that looks cool, but don't discredit it of something that could actually really benefit you. So, uh, I wrote on September 23rd, I wrote about a guy whose name is Gregory Novak. And if you look, if you look up kettlebell passing, the old timey video you see of three men standing in a triangle, throwing an 80 pound kettlebell to each other, that's Gregory Novak and his two sons. Mm-hmm. And so I had, I just found out about this kettlebell passing. And uh, here's another fun little weird thing. And it's, I wish I could figure out how to, get more information, but I don't speak Russian. And so that's a big hurdle. But uh, so Gregory Novak was, he was built like exactly like Wolverine. He was five, three. Uh, he competed at 198, and he was, you could see like, I, I have a picture of him on. It's the first picture on the Instagram. I'll give you the link to, uh, he has abs at 198 at five, three. Oh my gosh. And this was, uh, he lived from 1919 to 1980. So, I mean, he was competing in 1937. Uh, so that was before they even synthesized testosterone. So this guy was natty at 5'3", 198, and living in Soviet Russia. You know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, uh, he uh, he all of a sudden stopped. He was the strongest man in the world, and he actually uh, he, he took the silver in the Olympics uh, only doing three attempts because, like, he did one attempt at each lift. He did one clean and jerk, one press, and one snatch, and he took the silver in the Olympics. And, um, and then like, because he was injured in that competition Mm -hmm. a month later, he won the Russian uh, championships and then quit. And I was like, well, why did he quit? And then I saw this video of him throwing kettlebells to his sons in the circus. And I was like, well, I don't understand why he quit lifting. And it was unclear. And then the other day I wrote about a uh, German or a a Russian coach who uh, was his predecessor. And he was a, he was like the badass in uh, Russian Olympic weightlifting. He was like the first Olympic weightlifter for Russia. Mm-hmm. And he beat the crap out of Gregory Novak in a bar right after that competition because they both got drunk. And uh, the the Soviet guy, or the, uh, the coach, was going to get sent to the gulag and had a heart attack on the way to it. And Gregory Novak got kicked out of the Russian army. He was a captain in the Russian army and a war hero. And he got kicked out of the army and had to go into the circus because of it. And... Uh, so I'm, I'm now I'm dying to find out the like this what what must like I I can only imagine what happened but there has to be a record of it somewhere. Yeah, where do you find all this information, Jamie? Is just Google your best friend, or is there specific places that you go to to find this information? Uh, so Google is my best friend, and because I'm uniquely aged, that I graduated high school the year that the internet started. So mm-hmm. I had to learn how to, uh, how to write queries, like how to write search queries, uh, like for old search engines. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can really, I can write them very, I guess, more accurately than other people. 
And uh, then I also, the way that I used to, uh, I, I've always been really good at research. Even when it was from books, I was able to like uh, really use bibliographies really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, for finding music, I always like dug through the liner notes to get band names. And then I go searching for those band names in, in, in like tiny record stores. Yeah. So that I kind of all that stuff combined to this weird amount of research. But the funny thing is I never go to find these stories. They just pop up as like when I wrote about Novak, I had no idea about this other guy. And, uh, and then I had to put the pieces. See, then I went crazy trying to find out this story because, uh, cause I was like, Ooh, wait, they were both at this bar and then their lives were destroyed. So, <laughs> you know, so, it's like a, it, like a historical detective, like putting all the clues together. Yeah. And the, the best I could find is that, uh, that the the little old Russian man and this man's like twenty years Gregory Wolverine Senior mm-hmm. and picked him up and threw him overhead out of the bar. So I but they must have destroyed the place because what you know they the punishment was so ridiculous. Yeah. You know it's so it's just so fascinating that there's people out there in history that are like this because if something like that happened nowadays, it would be so viral so fast of a five foot three guy just pick somebody up and just throw them overhead out of a bar. Like that would be like, everybody would be looking for his program. Like on the, on the internet the next day. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, uh, Oh, here it is. Uh, uh, Alexander Bukharov. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he lived, uh, 1892 to 1952. So he was 132 pounds and he was an old man and he, uh, <laughs> just, that's wild. Wow. But that's how strong these guys were. And they all wrestled constantly. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's another thing people don't take into account. Like they, and oh, uh, here's a really fun thing that I got to tell you super fast. Mm-hmm. Train your grip because it is a direct correlate. Grip strength to longevity and, and your, uh, your health, what is it? Health jevity? Is that what they call it? Mm-hmm. And I mean a direct correlation because yeah, I've yeah. found, I have a list I can give you of old time wrestlers and strong men who were all, over 200 pounds and they lived between 80 and a hundred. Wow. At a time when the life expectancy was like 35, like 35. Yeah. 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 And they were strong as hell right up until they died. Yeah. It was when they got sick and weak that they died. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, it's one of my earliest stories of being a coach was this. I would say one. that's the most surprising thing actually that I've learned recently. The correlation between the correlation grip, grip. Yeah. Just yeah. train your grip. Good God. Well, you know what? It's, as I said, I had this older woman at the first place that I worked at who came in and needed some help just getting stronger. And I asked like, okay, like what's your goal? That's the first question that all brand new trainers always, you know, learn is what you have to ask. And she couldn't open her peanut butter jar anymore. Yeah. It was the peanut butter jar because she would, she would have an English muffin with peanut butter and she would get up in the morning and she'd watch the news. And that's what was her morning. And she was over 85 years old at the time. So, you know, she was, she lived a full life and she just wanted to enjoy her breakfast and she couldn't do that anymore. And is in my head, I'm a 23 year old moron who thinks that everything is about aesthetics and about athletic performance and health and fitness, where here's this little lady that's teaching me a lesson of, well, if you don't have your grip strength anymore, all of a sudden now you can't turn doorknobs like it. So it is, it's a direct correlate. I'll never forget this. It was like three weeks into us training and she rolled in. She just plopped down 
a peanut butter jar on my desk and said, watch this. And she opened it in front of me. That's awesome. And like, dude, the look was like, she was Usain Bolt that just won the hundred meter in the Olympics, like that, that amount of pride. And it's like, so, you know, talk about, you know, strength is, you know, means different things to different people, but that correlation of, I think it's grip and also grip and ab strength. I think if you keep those things going together, you're going to live, you're going to live a long, healthy life. Yeah, this one, I think grip and leg strength that were found to be correlates, especially in older people. But that's another thing with, uh, <clears throat> I think with older lifters, I'm guilty of it. I'm just fucking sick of training legs. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I've done that. I've done that dance. You know, I've, I've lived that life of training legs three times a week. And, uh, but, you know, you see like, you know, the last time I saw, when I, when I met Arnold mm-hmm. and I cried, uh, but I mean, he, he's slow getting up and he's a little stooped and like, it's his legs, his legs are weak. And you know, look at Sly, he's tottering around on those 10 pegs of legs. I mean, the man looks like he is, he's, he's had polio and it went badly and he's got like robot tent legs or something. Yeah. You know? Oh man. That's a, sh- yeah, that's a, sh- but his forearms are massive. So who knows? He might just live well, on that- grip strength alone. Well, yeah, just sit down then and just pose for pictures from behind a yeah. desk and you'll, and you'll still be good from there. So, um, dude, Jamie, so awesome having you back, man. It's really great to connect again, dude. Yeah, that was super fun. I hope it wasn't too uh, disconnected. I, I've been all over the place. Today. Oh, that's where we, that's where we need to go. That's where oh, we okay. find, that's where we find all the good stuff is when we just go in a direction and you don't know where to go, you know? And it's so it is always fascinating to, as personally, I'm just a huge fan of history and I know you are too. So to be able to, jam on this stuff and to find these things out you always get so much you know out of it and i know listeners you can get everything out of it too so jamie best place for people to go and consume your content is it the website uh yeah plagueofstrength.com and i also i have been posting pretty much every day now uh i really try to get the one out every day on my instagram so it's it's just plague of strength on instagram right you know instagram slash plague of strength uh and uh I, I'm not going to spell that out. I hope that everybody knows how to spell plague of strength, but um, we'll take care. We'll take care of that. On and our for end. God's sake, don't Google, don't Google grip programs. Just go do forearms, uh, especially, <laughs> especially uh, thumbless reverse curls. And if you can find a fat bar or a fat bar that doesn't rotate cable, just get in there. Yeah. Make, you know, every day is arm day. Exactly. Make it yeah. rain arms. That's it. Don't, don't yes. worry about three sets of eight or four sets of 12. Just go and just crush it out. Yeah. You know, I do kettlebells every day now. I, 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 every single day I flip the kettlebell at least 10 or 15 minutes at the end of my, so I'm getting arms every day and they are not ugly. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Brother. Great having you, man. Appreciate the time. Uh, and so, and so everybody knows why he laughs. I flexed for him because they're, they're pretty. They're pretty. <laughs> awesome. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for your time. Um, if you want to go follow Jamie, you know where to go find that. And I'll catch you on the next one. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you came away with great stories and insights that you can use to create more strength and success in your life. Remember now, for a time, you can grab a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge, the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Just go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com and grab your free copy today. It's your life. Make it the strongest possible. Catch you guys later.